Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning again. I want to welcome those watching online, our other campuses as well. I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor, and it's good to be back. Uh, for those of you who were uh, here last weekend, uh, I, long story, I'll tell it some other time, but basically, uh, I lost my voice in the middle of the service on Saturday night. And uh, Pastor Shane uh, stepped in at the last moment and spoke. Uh, can, can we thank him? He did a great job, didn't he? Uh, so, yeah, we uh, really, really appreciate that. Uh, but I, as I've come to uh, today, it's going to be a little bit of, of a different message in some ways. We're, we're looking at, at, yes, of course, our faith and that connection to our, our behavior and, and how Sometimes we have gaps there. We don't get it. Uh, there's a guy named Rogers Cadenhead. Uh, he's known as a domain hoarder. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's someone who, <coughs> excuse me, buys domains, and then he will resell them. So he'll try to see, hey, this could be a popular name, and he'll resell it to someone else. Well, a few years back, uh, he got an idea uh, when they were electing a new pope. And he's like, I, this is it. And he goes online and buys every pope name he can think of. And so he hits uh, the jackpot. Uh, they choose a new pope. The white smoke comes up. Uh, not too uh, many weeks later, a couple representatives from the Vatican come and say, uh, His Holiness Pope Benedict would like to buy your domain name. And they offered him thousands of dollars. This is him, actually, sort of grainy picture, but from uh, the Today Show. And so, so he's there being interviewed. And now Caden had himself as a Catholic, so he felt a little bit bad about uh, charging thousands of dollars to the Vatican. Uh, but he did want to get something of value. And so what he did is he came up with what he wanted in exchange for that uh, domain name. First thing he asked for was one of those hats. Uh, <laughs> and second was a stay in the Vatican Hotel. And then third is my favorite, complete absolution, no questions asked, for the third week of March, 1987. <laughs> Don't you want to know what happened that week? And, and it's sort of funny, what he asked for was based on his belief system. I actually married, uh, my, my wife uh, was raised Catholic family. I mean, if you can't tell, 11 kids Catholic. Like, same mom, same dad. I mean, my parents had 12 marriages, but not that many kids. And so there, uh, there's 11 kids. And so when I came into the picture, there's like, who's this guy? He has a Jewish-sounding name, yet he's a, a pastor of a church. And, and they had this belief, they were freaked out uh, because of their background, they thought that I could uh, call down fire from heaven on them at any moment. 
uh, primarily because I told them that's what would happen. Uh, and so, uh, it's sort of funny how they related to me was based on their beliefs. And, and see, here, here's one thing I know about you and I know about me, is, is that I can see how you relate to your spouse, how you spend your money, the trajectory of your career, what's happened there, how you deal with your impulses, and I will know what your belief system is. Because it, it, it filters down into our behavior. And so today what I'm going to do is we're going to look at Titus chapter 2, and we're going to get into some doctrine. And I know some of you are like, what? Uh, here's what it says. It says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. If you're taking notes, will you underline sound doctrine? And I know what some of you are thinking, okay, hey, you know, it's a 10 a.m. game. I came to church, and here you're going to do, you're going to lay down all these Bible rules on me. But see, it, it, it's more than that. And, and so I, want, I, I know this, you are going to need to stay intellectually engaged because look at what it says in John 1.17. Grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. So there's a statement there, and if it's true, it means everything. Because it means that grace and truth will not be found in any of the other places that we might be looking for it. And this assaults uh, certainly our culture, especially now we, we think, you know, everyone's like Seattle. That's not true. But so especially maybe more on the West Coast, we, we have this, this idea. And, and what I want to do, and you might have it as well, is I just want to intellectually engage and then really get down into some spiritual principles. The, the Apostle Paul, uh, he was uh, writing to people in Corinth. Corinth was like crazy. You think, it's sort of like, I know you would never admit to it, but you remember the show Jerry Springer? And uh, people in Corinth would do things that would make Jerry Springer blush. And so uh, in, the, in the middle of that, in that, that system, he's saying, you got to be careful. And, he, and he's speaking actually mostly to those who have crossed the line of faith. And, and I think that that would be true for us today. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive uh, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And, and, I, and I get that we have a sense where we're uncomfortable with these uh, types of claims. And, and so what I want to do is before, before we look at what is uniquely Christian and how there's, there's some practical application there, uh, is I want to look at some alternative truth claims uh, because they're out there. And, that's, and you might have, hold to one of these, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. Uh, the first one that's talked a lot about in our society uh, actually doesn't have that many adherents is atheism. Uh, it, it's estimated maybe around 15% uh, in our country, uh, globally much, much lower uh, number of atheists, but that people who would uh, say, hey, I really don't believe in anything. And, and that's okay, but what I want to do is actually take a deep dive intellectually into that. So it's because there are results of that type of thinking. I was just talking to someone 
uh, who uh, was a scientist, and, and, and they were saying, yeah, you're right, because I talked about origins. Atheism has no credible explanation for origins. Now, there's an explanation, just one that doesn't really make sense, because you have to come back down to, uh, hey, there's the eternity of matter, and you can't explain where those origins came from. And so, it's okay to not have an explanation, still be an atheist, but you just intellectually honest say, I admit there's no real explanation whatsoever for how uh, we exist, how anything exists. Even the Big Bang, uh, actually it was Christian, uh, uh, Christians who were more for that when that theory came out. Non-Christians hated it because it pointed to a creation event. And, and, and so, uh, we look at it and say, hey, I, I don't believe in, in anything, but hopefully you'll ask the questions, then the origins and how that exists. Now, now there's even political philosophies that come out of uh, atheism. Uh, and that's, it's not, democracy didn't come out of atheism, actually communism, Nazism, uh, sort of those came out of atheism. Nietzsche, who was the philosophical father of Nazism, he, he actually posited this. He said, if there is no God, that's what he believed, then everything is permissible. And out of his philosophy, that's where sort of the Nazi movement came, and so they did everything they wanted to. And, and so, we, we just want to look at this and say, okay, that's one truth claim, and, and, and you might like some things about it, and there's nothing wrong with you liking about it, but just let's be honest uh, about that. Most people don't believe that. They're, they buy into uh, theism. So, theism is the idea that there is a, a God. Now, there's, if we were going to look, and I, I'm not going to do it in one sermon, but the sort of the the philosophies, more a Buddhist or Hindu background, not so much necessarily a, a theistic worldview, but there's some sense of, uh, of truth and all of that in there, that uh, uh, over half the planet buys into uh, Christianity or Islam or Judaism, and they would believe in theism, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's actually the majority of the people uh, on the earth are going to buy into uh, that. And so, the question, though, is which theistic viewpoint uh, is correct. And then there's universalism. Universalism is this idea, and, and this was popular maybe today even, but more so maybe 30 years ago. Uh, the idea is, okay, I believe in Jesus and everyone, you know, not like the Jesus of the Bible, but the hippie Jesus that, you know, just peace and love and flowers and drives a VW bus. And uh, so, the idea is, yeah, he came and and he made a ways for us for God, and so he did that for everyone, whether or not they accept God or Jesus or not. And so, what we really do is we turn Jesus into a theological bully who makes people follow him who don't like him. And that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that we get to come into a relationship with God, and if we don't want that, God will allow you not to, and we sort of, there's consequences to that. And so we, so, we have this marketplace of ideas, um, and I believe that Christianity does very well in the marketplace of ideas. I mean, for example, I, I used to get this, well, we should, Ben, ben we should have a, 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 a petition so we have prayer in schools. And, and I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if I agree. By the way, there will always be prayer in schools as long as they give tests. So, you know… <laughs> 
the, the, the little atheist kid is going, Jesus, I'm rolling the dice on you today. And so, you know, uh, but the truth is, there, but, but I, don't, I don't actually want someone who doesn't share my faith leading my kids in prayer. So I actually oppose that in the public schools. So uh, most people, and I would say this, especially in our region, buy into what's called pluralism. Now, there's different brands of pluralism, and I'm talking specifically uh, about religious pluralism. It's sort of the idea that, okay, hey, man, you know, let's just all get along, and, uh, you know, we don't want to be a jerk. By the way, I hope you're not a jerk for Jesus. You don't want to be that. Uh, every once in a while, I'd go, well, to the uh, fourth on the plateau, and there's usually someone who's there with a sign. You know, you've seen these people. They frequent football games as well. And usually the sign is, Jesus loves you. You're burning in hell. Amen. And, and, and I'm like, okay, I sort of get your message. Uh, but I don't know if it's very helpful. Uh, I, I don't know. I've never met anyone in my life who say, you know, I saw some crazy guy with a sign, and I decided to become a follower of Jesus. Uh, no, usually that, that never happened. I've, I never met anyone, never know of anyone. It's just something that's radically offensive and completely ineffective. So, the, uh, but see, we see that and we say, I don't want to be that person. And so, what we buy into, and, and some of you, and, you know, even as we're like, okay, I buy into this to do, too, and I want to challenge this. We buy into the, the Jesus and philosophy. It's, hey, Jesus is great, but, you know, so, it, you know, I have friends, and, and I love them, and they're Muslim, or they're nothing, or whatever, and so all paths lead to the same place. Now, the problem is, from, uh, from an intellectual perspective, that's not true. Uh, in fact, uh, Aristotle said this. He said, uh, and I, some of you are like, Ben, what's the matter with you? You're quoting Aristotle on a 10 a.m. game day? You know, what happened to the junior high jokes? They'll be back next week. Don't worry. Uh, he said this, something cannot be both true and untrue at the same time. Aristotle, not a Christian. And yet, sometimes we will say, you know, all religions teach the same thing, which is offensive to every religion in the world. There's no, there's no Buddhist, Hindu, uh, Muslim, Jew who would agree with you, not, not any serious one at all. They would all say, no, there's a truth claim, and we buy into this. Zero percent would say, oh, no, everything's true. For example, you, you take uh, Buddhism. Uh, many religions have a commonality. There's some problem in the world. Buddhism would say there's a problem of suffering, and so the elimination of suffering is behind the philosophy of Buddhism, and uh, so that's their definition of the problem. And you get that where Buddhism came out of and sort of uh, the problems that existed. I, you could see how they could come up with that. Where Christianity would say, no, the problem is sin. And you'd say, well, okay, well, what about that? What about, you know, people who are in Africa are starving and, and all of that? That's true. There's a problem there. Actually, Africa produces uh, enough food to feed the whole continent just with no help. It's just maybe a distribution problem. So we'd say, no, it's, it's, no, the problem has to do more with a sin nature. So, so we, we go, go through this, and we're trying to uh, say uh, that there's some differences as well. 
If you were going to take Muslims like a person, Jesus, they would say, if you said, well, Jesus is God, they'd say, oh, you're a heretic. No, Jesus was the second most holy prophet in Islam. Uh, he went to a cross. He didn't actually die there. He was just taken up to heaven. So he really, you know, that whole dying, and that didn't really happen. Jews would say Jesus is a, a marginal Jew. He, uh, there was a Jesus. By the way, I, I get this every once in a while from people especially who don't know history very well. Well, did Jesus exist? No, no, no historian questions that. Not even not, no, you can, you can go there, you read about it, you read about my non-Christian historians, you can visit Israel, there's archaeological digs, no question he exists, it's just who is he? And Christians would say, no, Jesus was God in the flesh, he died on a cross, and he rose again on the third day, and that changes everything. So, so why is this a big deal? You're like, okay, Ben, you know, wh why are we looking at this? Uh, here's what we read again in 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6. It says, there is no God but one, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. See, see the question is, am I, am I following something that will work in my life? Will, it, will I get that connection to God? Titus 2.11 he says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And, and then, then Jesus makes this claim that is disturbing, especially to a pluralistic mindset. Uh, Jesus makes a claim, and he says uh, this in John 14, 6. He answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, and I would say that there are some of us here would say, hey, you know, that's true for me, Ben, but it's not true for everyone. Well, that can't be because that would make Jesus a liar and a fraud. So either Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, or one of these other alternatives has a better explanation. And so this pluralism in our society, we get pushed towards it and, and my, I get why, because you want to be a nice person, right? You know, no, no one's going to get up on the lunch table at Amazon or Microsoft and say, hey, by the way, if you believe something different, let me tell you why you're wrong today. Uh, you would be eating alone. That's what would happen. But we tend to actually deny our faith sometimes. And, and so it's important for us to be intellectually consistent and biblically faithful. So Titus 2.15, it says, these things, these then are things you should teach. And, and because if Jesus came and I can be forgiven and I can be freed and I have direction for my life and there's a home in heaven and, and a purpose in my future, if I can know that maybe even though I'm going through some circumstances right now, that they don't have to define my life, that, that I would want to step into that. And my prayer is, and, and I really was praying as I've been thinking about this, is that you would get so close to Jesus and his truth that it would be transformational for you 
and that it would give you compassion beyond measure for people around you. So, uh, here's what will happen, though. As oftentimes when it comes to like, you know, you say, Ben, doctrine and truth. And, and there's a, there is a step in the connection card. We're, get, we're going to be leaning heavily into that in the new year and, and, and offer some classes. And, and, and I hope that many of you will take that. Because what will happen is sometimes we'll sort of, we'll fake it. And uh, we have a low shame level here. Hey, I wasn't raised with any of this Christianity stuff. I had to learn it. I mean, I, I remember feeling so... Uh, awkward. I was already a Christian. You know, one, I didn't know how they, you know, and church was weird to me. It was like a church with a hymn book, and, and you, uh, we weren't even musical. So, oh, so we sing this one, and then we only sing verses one and three. I don't know why verses two and four were so evil, but we never sang that. Uh, and, and I'm like, hey, and then they're like, you know, turn, uh, you know, open up the Bible, and I'm like, yeah, I remember starting, you know, reading the Bible. I started with the book of Numbers. That was a bad idea. Uh, and then, but there were helpful things like books about the Philippines and jobs and uh, all of that in there. And uh, yeah, I just didn't get it. But then I decided I wasn't going to fake it anymore. I was down, uh, actually just yesterday, uh, right before the Saturday night service. And uh, I'm down at Albertsons. Uh, I'm, I'm there uh, just a couple, couple blocks from a Redmond campus. And uh, it's packed. That, that Albertsons is never packed. There are a couple lines, and it was like five or six people deep in the line. So I'm getting uh, my lunch there, uh, fried chicken, health food. And so I'm there, and I'm getting that. And so there's a line, and I did what I always do when there's big lines is I talk to people against their will. And uh, so, so I'm, I'm there, and I'm, I'm trying to find someone. Well, I find a willing partner. And uh, I'm like, hey, wow, I never see lines like this. She goes, yeah, I come here every day. I've never seen it so busy. And we're getting along. We're building rapport. I'm thinking we're going to be friends. I said, yeah, I come here at least a few times a week. She goes, really, why? I said, I just work at the church up the street. She goes, what church? We're having a conversation. Things are going well. And I said, Timberlake Church. She said, that's a great church. And I thought, I, well, one, I knew she was very intelligent at that point. <laughs> and, uh, but then I thought, that was sort of weird. I didn't know her. And so then I didn't play as fair. I said, really? So what do you think of the pastor? She goes, he's great. I said, I think so too. <laughs> and and uh, so, so, so we're having this conversation. And I said, well, you know, uh, so I'm there pretty much every weekend. And so if you're ever at the church uh, and you see me, come say hi. She said, okay. And so if you are here this weekend, surprise. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, it, but here, here's, here's the truth is that so we're having, we're having this, this conversation, and I get it because we all want to, we want to do the social graces thing. Instead of saying, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've never really been to it or something like that. And, and so instead of making progress, we protect an image. And so my hope is that you will not protect an image of anything except the image of God and who he wants to be in your life. 
So what, what does Titus say? There's, there's four aspects of really the personal impact of reliable truth. Number one is finding freedom. Uh, Titus says this, uh, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So you want to find freedom in your life? Uh, you you got to, see, I, I have these conversations all the time. Well, man, I got this problem. If I just solved this problem, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. Isn't that encouraging for you? <laughs> uh, no, you, you really wouldn't. Because I hear it all the time. Oh, if I could just get married, I'd be happy. And then you come back. Oh, I'm married and we're having trouble. Oh, that's solved. And if we just had kids. Oh, and now I got kids. Can I send them back? And we have all these things that happen. And we're just saying, if I solve my problems, I would be happy. Actually, solving your problems does not bring you happiness, joy, or purpose. What, when you have peace with God, a relationship with God, you will walk through problems. David said this. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I am confident. I am not afraid. Did he have problems around him? Yeah. He had family that turned on him, close followers who betrayed him. He was homeless for a while. He said, but I am doing really fine. Because because God he didn't know Jesus at that point because God is walking with me. I know people who are walking through cancer. I know people who are walking through employment issues. Everyone else is doing fine and you're feeling, what's happening? Me. They say, I'm doing fine. You want to find freedom in your life? It's by knowing the truth and that truth is in a person of Jesus Christ. Number two is life in context. Uh, but by the way, I'm going to go, I'm a little behind, I'm going to go faster. I was, last week I was sick, I didn't preach, so I figured I had some rollover minutes this morning. Uh, the, uh, so, uh, but, so you got to listen a little fast. Life in context. So uh, life in context is, is this. It's, well, have you ever met, do you know someone who's like, uh, there's always drama going in their life? They're addicted to drama. Yeah, you know, they're with you. You're afraid. Don't point at them. Uh, but, but, but here's what happens, is they don't have any context. Their problems define them. And, and, and here's what the Apostle Paul, as he was, he had been beaten and shipwrecked. He had lost, financially, there were some impact in his life. Relationally, there was impact in his life. And, and he said in the midst of that, he said, because he had the perspective of heaven, the perspective of God, he said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. And when you have that kind of perspective in your life, it gives you hope. Titus 1.13, we're told this, and it's talking about the return of Christ, that, that God, yes, he began a work through Jesus, and we can know his salvation, but he will come again, and he will make everything right. And the only reason he waits, the Bible says, is so people will have a shot to come to him, that they'll have it to change their ways. He says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Joyful Christian, one of my favorite uh, quotes, he says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And then another truth that's important for us to grasp is transformational forgiveness. And even in the older part of the Bible, before Jesus, there's, there was this idea, there was a day of atonement, Yom Kippur, this, this idea that we needed to be made right. The question is, how are we made right? Are we made right? Uh, now, now, pluralism would often buy into, well, karma, I do enough good things, and that covers up for the bad things. Well, one, it doesn't say in Scripture, and it certainly doesn't help anyone you hurt. It's just, it's an idea that really doesn't make sense in practicality. But what if God acknowledged sin, acknowledged pain, and said, I will bring to bear the resources of heaven that you can be forgiven and freed? That makes sense. It says, he who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness. See, there's this, this idea we, we, all, we all buy into at some level. Ernest Hemingway, in his famous book, Capital of the World, he retells this uh, famous Spanish story about a father and his son named Paco, and you would recognize some of the details from a story in the Bible. Paco was rebellious, disobedient, uh, defiant, irresponsible, and uh, he was unwilling to father, follow his father's rules. Eventually, he broke uh, from his father. Uh, he hurled insults at him, said some horrible things, and, and, and ran, ran away, and just severed the relationship completely. And in the story, uh, the, the father uh, really started to be concerned. He wondered, is he in trouble? Is he all right? Is he hurt? And finally, he decided to do something because uh, he couldn't bear the pain and separation. And in the story, he puts an ad in, in, in a newspaper, El Liberal, in the classified section, and uh, it read this, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday, all is forgiven, Papa. And the next day at noon, when the father arrives at the Hotel Montana, there were 800 Pacos there. And it sort of tells that story, doesn't it? That if we're honest, we say, no, I need forgiveness. I need to be made whole. And only through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ is that possible. And when we live in that, that gives us a new confidence. You see, it's not the idea, I'm right, you're wrong. It's like you can find freedom. And God has made a way, and yes, it's only one way, but He has made a way for that. Uh, I was in Scotland uh, when I was college, went, went with a group of people, and we did some ministry there in little towns. Uh, the guy who led the ministry was Scottish. He uh, retired colonel from the British Army, wealthy family. His family was one of the two that started the tea trade with India. Uh, God had got his attention at 43. He had become a follower of Jesus. And so he uh, used his influence not only with uh, the aristocracy but others to really share his faith. But we did this little play that was interesting. People in Scotland have religious education, and so uh, depending on their background, and so they knew a lot of the Bible stories. One story we did was a prodigal daughter, so it was a little different that way. And, and it was that story, sort of that story about the, the son that went away from the father, that that same story that Hemingway sort of wrote about. 
And so the rebellious daughter should come to the father, and everyone's like, okay, we know this. And, and yet in, 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 the, in the skit or the play, the father comes running to the father, and the father instead slaps her, knocks her to the ground, and said, you deserve that. Get out of here. And everyone was like, oh, that shouldn't have happened. No, that's exactly what should happen without the grace of God, is that we get what we deserve. But the grace of God interjects and says, I have made a way. Titus 2.14, it says, a people that are as his very own. That's what God is trying to create with you and with me. And, and, and we, have, we have a confidence when we know that I am God's child, that just by being in relationship with God, no matter what's happening in, in, in my marriage or my work or, or even my own head, that I can find freedom, I can give life, have life in context, there's complete forgiveness, and I can have confidence because of who God is in my life. The, the Apostle Paul in the Bible, he says that uh, he's blown it. He said, I am the chief among all sinners. And yet God interrupted his life, and, and he changed his perspective. He said, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when, when the Apostle Paul, he says, you got to believe the right things. It's not about being right, it's about you and me being right with God. Because either there's a plan, I do it on my own, somehow the universe will make it right, or God comes in my most difficult moments, and He comes by the power of His Holy Spirit, by the power of what Jesus did on the cross, and He makes me right with Him. Maybe today you say, you know, I've sort of started to buy into this all roads lead to the same place. And God is calling you back to Him and saying, no, there is power in what Jesus has done. Or maybe for you, it's, hey, Ben, you know, I like what that you said. I, I, I like that, but that's not real in my life. Do you know what it can become real in your life? That you can have confidence right now. You, you might say, I'm unsure. You can be sure. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.